0: I'd like to say something before we get started here this morning. Um, many of you have, maybe you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. And um, the idea isn't just to show it so we can see it. The idea would be that you, you think of someone that you might want to invite along. Talk to somebody this week. Ask them, have you seen this movie The The Passion of the Christ? And, and just you know, kind of check it out and see if they, if they've seen it, if, if they've not seen it, what an opportunity, you know, invite them to come, there will be that important time of, uh, 4.30 to 6.30 for the quiet, uh, open communion time, and we encourage you to come for that, and, uh, many have just, over the years, many just have really appreciated that just real quiet time, uh, the communion elements are right here, um, and it's not a problem that we're going to have communion this morning and then have it again on Friday night. Okay? I think one year we did that. And we canceled communion on Sunday morning because, wow, well, hey, we're having communion Friday night. What's the deal? And there are some people that came up and said, you know, I miss that. And it's, it's, it's good. It's good for the Christian, for the believer in Jesus Christ to spend time quietly Uh, communing with God, with the elements of of the Lord's Supper. And we encourage you to come as a family, as an individual, and join us in that time, 4.30 to 6.30, then a half an hour of a break, and then 7 o'clock the movie will start, uh, with child care in the Fellowship Hall. Okay? That's uh, a good one. And then um, 6 o'clock starting time for sunrise service and... uh, We'll, we're looking forward to our time together on Resurrection Sunday morning. Okay, I, I really appreciate Dale in leading us in that prayer time and, and mentioning about... Uh, this is the start of Holy Week. And here's, here's this day that we call Palm Sunday. And that's what we want to connect in, in just a brief way. I want to remind you, we're studying the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible... Please take it and open it to Colossians chapter 1. We've been going over Paul's intercessory prayer. And his prayer is a model for you and I to follow. It's a standard of of praying. You know, we want to pray for ourselves and for one another to be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then following that prayer... The heart of the prayer, then following that, here are the results that should follow. And you see that in, in chapter one, um, in verse 10, 11, and 12, to, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyfully, or joyously giving thanks to the Father. And so it, it transitions from here's, these, here's the results of this prayer into now here's the rescue that we so desperately needed. And Pastor Brennan brought in that message on the rescue that Christ brought about. Do you know in the depths of your heart right now, are you rescued? Are you rescued from the wrath of God to come? Do you know that? Really? Really? I hope that that's the case for you because that's absolutely critical that you know that you've been rescued. Well, from this, all of this, here's this prayer. Here are the results. Here's the rescue. And now here's the what I like to call the recital of praise. He wants to specify, you know what? Here's who Christ is. And so he he breaks forth into really what some call some, uh, some would say is a a hymn of praise, starting in verse fifteen, and it 's the highest praise you can give <clears throat> and so he launches into this praise and uh, calling it a recital. You know what a recital is? Some of you have nightmares about recitals. I think all all of our kids had to do a recital for mom and piano and boy. I've got the video clip right now. If guys, you'll... (laughs) No, I don't, really. But you know what a recital is? A recital, get this. A recital is a public exhibit of skill. A public exhibit of skill. And uh, yeah, I thought that was a neat little definition, especially when we put it to this here's the recital of highest praise paul brings it brings it out and you know what that's where we connect back to palm sunday now the crowd get this the crowd builds it up and they see him coming into town and what do they do they pull off their coats they lay them on the on the ground and they pull off palm branches and lay them on the ground and they're crying out Hosanna Hosanna in the highest blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and I don't know if they know it maybe they do but they're fulfilling scripture they're fulfilling scripture and they are putting forth their anthem of praise to the king the triumphal entry but you know It's very interesting. It's not just all about, oh yay, here comes Jesus. I want you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. Turn there please to Matthew chapter 21. You can keep your uh, note page in Colossians there because we'll go back there. Matthew 21. And this is so interesting of what unfolds with Palm Sunday and this triumphant entry that Jesus has. Now he is commanded; he's asked for his disciples to go and get the the colt, and the, you know, so he could ride into town. And verse six says, "And the disciples went and did just what, as Jesus had directed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid them uh, laid on them their garments on which he sat." Now here we go. Verse eight. Most of the multitudes spread their garments in the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the multitudes were going before him. And those who followed were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was what? Stirred. And there might be a different word in your translation, but the idea is, oh, it's like, what's happening? What's going on? I want to know. Now, what did they say? Here's really the catch. What did they say? Who is this? Now, wait a minute. Wasn't Jesus there in Jerusalem previously? And he, you know, they knew of Jesus. And really, I find this so intriguing because... It's our problem, too. We say we know Jesus. Do we know Jesus? Do we really know Jesus? And sometimes I have to catch myself and recognize I, I call Him Savior. And I'm glad that He rescued me. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He rescued me, took me out of the domain of darkness and transferred me transferred me into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And I'm all happy about that. And I can be like this crowd. I can call out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But the very crowd, you know it, folks. You Almost all of you know this. Later on in the week, they were crying out, crucify Him, crucify Him. They got stirred up by, oh, at the beginning of the week, stirred up over... Oh, here comes the king. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to help us defeat the Romans. Yeah. And let's spread the word. Well, he didn't do that. And when he didn't do that, why it's just that much easier to say, well, just crucify him. We need somebody, you know, rough and tough. You know, maybe Barabbas, he'll, he'll help us, you know? Not really. Really? So, all throughout, listen, all throughout history, this has been the key for mankind. How will you answer this question? Who is this? And many of you think you know, and you're wrong. You need to be brought back again and again to the Gospels to keep reading not just say, oh, I did that five years ago. No, keep reading in the Gospels to let the Scripture speak to your heart about who He is. Because I'm constantly reshaping Him in my own mind. I'm reforming Him in my own mind to my likeness. That's my problem. That's your problem. And we need to let the Bible speak forth of who Jesus is to answer that question. Who is this? So, getting his identity right and then carrying on with that throughout your life in this earth is, is the very point that Paul is going to make in Colossians chapter 1. You get that? Okay? It's the very point that he's going to make. And it's absolutely critical that you and I understand this Okay? So this is his recital of praise, his public exhibition of skill in praise to lift up the name and the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? So you have, in your outline, in the bulletin, you have those references in Matthew 21 and then the review of Colossians 1, 9 through 14. So follow along if you'd like from the outline in your bulletin. Here we go. <clears throat> Paul, it's like he turns up the turbo jets, okay? He, he turns up the turbo jets on this prayer. And in, in Colossians 1, 15, he says, And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself might come to have first place in everything. Okay? So this is about the highest praise pointing to the fact that Jesus is supreme. Jesus himself is supreme. And we've got three aspects of that supremacy right before us. Three aspects, three keys to it. Number one, his unmistakable supremacy. The unmistakable supremacy of Christ. It's like when you um, have something that you, you cannot... Rem- like if somebody uh, graffitied the wall and you can't get it off, right? There it is. It just, it's just implanted. I know we have chemicals nowadays, but in the olden days, back in Southern California, it was hard to get that stuff off. It was like an indelible mark, okay? That's not the best illustration, but the idea is it's something that cannot be removed. It's something that cannot be diminished is Christ in his supremacy and he is the image of the invisible God. So that's where we start is that with this word image, meaning he's the representation. He's the the picture. He's the, the portrait of who? God. He's the one. Listen, you maybe you're here this morning and you you have questions and you have quandaries about this whole thing of church and christianity you want to know god you really want to know god he's there to be found out and all you need to do is go reading in the gospels and look at the life of christ there is god and we've said it time and time before it's god in a body god in a body this word image is the word in the greek icon and that's what it's saying it's a here's a representation now it's not just a like a a shadow this is a a mark in the in the in the metal coin here it is it's the image of george washington there it is or 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 abe lincoln or thomas jefferson who else is on a coin you know those things He is the express image of God. The exact representation of His nature. That's Hebrews chapter 1. Mark it down if you're taking notes. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Especially verse 3 there. Where it says that Christ is the radiance of His glory. The exact representation of God's nature. When you sense that you are near a heater... You, you, you know, you sense here's the radiation of the, here's the heat. Same with the sun. You get out in the sun on a beautiful day. Here's the radiation. And Christ is the radiance of God's glory. Okay? The exact representation of his nature. Okay? Now, let's go back to Matthew. Turn back in your Bible uh, to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Now, we're going to do a quick run-through of things starting at Matthew chapter 8. Okay? Verse 1. And when he, Jesus, had come down from the mountain... Great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came to him, bowed down to him, said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. What does he have power over? Leprosy. He has power over paralysis. Verse 5. And when he had entered the uh, Capernaum, a centurion came to him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my my servant will be healed. And then Jesus marveled in verse 10 and said to those who are following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And in this, in verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. Let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. He has power over paralysis later on he's got he shows power over the fever of, of Peter's mother-in-law uh, he shows power over sickness power over the elements at the in verse 26 you know these things he's got power right <laughs> now mark it down John 14 verse 9 John 14 verse 9 says and and he's talking with Philip here. He's talking with Philip, and he says to Philip, if you've seen me, what does he finish it with? You've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And those are other uh, uh, examples, right? And also along with it, think of the many times, the various times, where the Pharisees decide, ah, (laughs) hey, let's get the stones, come on. And they... They turned, and they're going to stone him for blasphemy, for calling themselves God. They knew it, and they were the experts. They knew what he was saying when he said in John chapter 8, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, why am I getting huffy about this? Why is this, you know, I try to remind myself, don't, don't talk so loud. But you know why? I get excited. I get. And I get irritated. Because it's what I do and what. Um, what many do. And that is, they water down Jesus Christ. They diminish him in his glory. They um, clog up his identity. And when i do that or you do that then we end up tripping up in our walk and tripping up in our lives okay so jesus said it himself he is the image of the invisible god and he's he's declared it time and time again now there's another word that we want to look at under point number 1 because we got to keep hustling here keep moving keep moving Back to Colossians. Okay, back to Colossians. And <clears throat> he says, he is the image of the invisible God. What's the next phrase? Look at it. I want you to look in the word. You look at it. You look at it. Here, <laughs> He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Now, if we take that and, and translate it through our culture, through our understanding, we will be like The Mormons, I'll just say it. We'll just, we'll be just like the Mormons. We'll say, oh yeah, he's, he's the firstborn. Meaning, what do we think of? I think of, okay, for us, it's our son, Sam. He's the firstborn. For you, you know, here's, here's your firstborn. And we're thinking literal. Paul doesn't use it that way. He's not using the term firstborn in that way. It's a cultural difference. You have to understand that there's many examples of the term firstborn in Scripture. And it's referring to position, authority, okay? Prominence. And so, firstborn. The context that he, and and we look at the context. What do I mean by that? It's the verses before and the verses following. So you you keep reading in this passage and you realize he's not talking about Christ being all of a sudden poof. There he is in the scene. Because Christ was not poofed on the scene. Christ is eternal. Get that in your mind. Jesus, your Savior, is eternal. He's from time past and on to time eternity in the future. So firstborn talks about really the idea of the first of rank. He's superior. Israel is called the firstborn. But Israel wasn't the firstborn nation in the sense of a literal nation. But in terms of who, how God's going to use them, yes. Firstborn in that way. Okay? So, firstborn. Now... It, People will try to, you know, confuse and uh, relate it to somewhere in the Bible where it might have been used in the same way as meaning first birthed. Right? So we've got to be c- clear on this and watch carefully to understand. Okay, we look at this context in Colossians chapter 1 and it's clear. What does the next phrase say? Verse 16. Look at it. What does the next phrase say? For by him all things were created. Bingo. There it is. How could a creature do all things created? You tell me. He wasn't a creature. He is the the creator. Okay? And that's why we go to... Um, Well, under number one, if you're following in the outline, it's because he's the only true image of God. That's why it's an unmistakable supremacy. He is the only true image of God. And again, what is the world trying to get across to us? Remember Peter and Heather? And when they were here last week in India, largest populated, you know, population in the world in India. And what do they think? The ant crawling along is, is a god. The scrungy dog is a god. Or wh- whatever. Polytheism all over the place. And the world looks at it and says, oh, yeah, I mean, if you want to do that, that's okay. That's all right. You know, you, you, you figure it out yourself. And I don't want to be belligerent in it, but I, what I want to do is show forth here's what the Bible says. And it's not my idea. It's not your idea. It was God's idea. It was Jesus who said these things. So. you have got to move on. Number two. In our outline. Is verse 16 and 17. Where we understand this to be his immeasurable. His immeasurable supremacy. Because he's the creator and sustainer. If you're tracking in the outline, he is the creator and the sustainer. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What are you hearing over and over and over again? All things. It says it four times in two verses. Four times, two verses. Do you think there's emphasis here? Paul is making it saying it's over all things that he is supreme because he is the creator. Now I, in this, I didn't have to use the word only. You know, it's kind of weird to say, you know, I get marks off from my English professor, right? That to say he's the only creator. Why do you have to say the only? He's the creator. He's the creator and the sustainer. And it's all things, all things, all things, all things. Now, these terms that you see in verse 16 have a very interesting, um, you know, back and forth to it. Both in heaven and on earth. Visible, invisible. Thrones or dominions. Rulers or authorities. Most all the commentators say this. It's talking about the angelic realm. The spirit realm. The things that we cannot see. It's talking about here's what he is supreme over. And that is the angelic realm. Interesting reference. You ready to go? Let's look at Acts. I think it's Acts 19. Acts 19. What an interesting situation. Okay. Acts 19, starting at uh, verse 11, and God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that handkerchiefs, aprons were even uh, carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Well, the seven sons, one of Sceva, Sceva, uh, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Hey, guys, you know, six other guys, let's go out and do this. Cool. Let's go. (laughs) And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? Hey, here's the question again. Now it's now directed to us, you know, to these people. Who are you? I know who Jesus is. What does that mean? The demon knows. The demon knows. Okay. And after that. The man, verse 16, the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, subdued all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all, both all both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Why do I read that? To show that it couldn't be done to anyone you know, it couldn't be done to Jesus. Okay? couldn't be done to Paul. Why? Paul knew Jesus. These guys were just like off there on their own. And so, here again is this issue of the power of Jesus Christ over all things. Angelic beings. Obedient and disobedient angelic beings. So, and the whole idea of uh, going back to Colossians, the whole idea in this... Segment of the passage is saying that creation, he's the creator, and the goal of creation is headed back to him. It's for his glory. It's not just set apart or set in motion and God kind of walks away, the theistic uh, kind of thing. You know, it's just, you know, God created everything and walked away. No. The whole goal of creation is going to come back right to the credit and the praise and the glory of jesus christ and not only that but he's also the sustainer now again some of you you've heard this language you've heard this description but somehow we get kind of dry to it right we get kind of like oh yeah yeah somehow we we don't let it really sink in and that's one, That's my problem. That's our problem as Christians. We can't let that happen. We need to keep saying, Lord, please speak to my heart about the majesty and the glory of Jesus who is the creator and the sustainer of all things. You know, you've heard it said before, if the earth was like, you know, one little foot closer to the sun, however, whatever that measurement was, we'd all be fried. Or if it was farther away, we'd all be frozen. It's right there. And it is maintained, we say, because of what? Gravity? Yeah? And the pull on the moon and the earth and all that jazz? Who holds that together? Who holds the little molecules together that, you know the cells and all all that stuff inside your body. All that, that was a rule, a law put into action by God, the creator. And he created and it sustained. He sustains it. Hebrews chapter 1, you go back to that again and it says, he holds all things together by the power of his word. He put it into action. He spoke. Ex nihilo. He spoke and it came into being. I believe that because God is greater than my mind. I I can't I wanna I wanna believe in a big God. And if I say if if someone's saying oh but here's evolution, okay well, I'm not gonna say you know bad things or whatever, but I'm gonna keep coming back to this issue. God's being limited. Psalm 33 talks about God's creation. You know, Jesus talked about it. I mean, it's all, it's throughout Scripture. It's not just in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It's throughout all Scripture. He's the creator. And Jesus is the creator. That's what this passage is talking about. Okay? He's creator, he's sustainer. Number three, we look at verse 18 Colossians 1, verse 18. And he also is the head of the body, the church. Now he's taking a shift. He's gone from creation to the church. He's head of creation. He's over all creation. He's supreme over all creation. And over the church, he is head of the body. And the church is known as the body of Christ. And there's only one head. Except in Greek mythology. (laughs) And we're not talking Greek mythology. Here it is. The head. The head is where the intelligence comes from. The head is where direction comes from. All the shots are called there. Okay? And we need to understand this. Number three, his invincible, his invincible supremacy. Because he's the only one to conquer sin and death. He's the only one that made the claim and did it. He told his disciples, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'll be beaten, I'll be mocked, I'll be spit upon, I'll die and then I'll rise again. He told them that. And they still didn't quite get it. And yet he did it. He went through it and he rose again. Now, we're going to talk we're going to pick it up here next week on Easter Sunday morning about his rising again. And his being the first born from the dead. But I wanted to touch on this to show that these are the three areas of his supremacy. His unmistakable supremacy. His immeasurable supremacy. His invincible supremacy. No one will surpass what Jesus has done. No one. And the world keeps putting it down. The world keeps poo-pooing it. Or what? poo it? What's the word? <laughs> the world is going to keep doing that. And looking down upon it, they, because they look at it, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, they look at it as foolishness. Foolishness. Mark it down. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Listen, you don't need to turn there. Just, if you want to close your eyes and listen. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us through Christ, if He is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Verse 37, but in all these things we are where we overwhelmingly conquer because we're really good people. That's what some preachers will say. Because you're really good and you can make it. No, we overwhelmingly conquer <laughs> through Him who agaped us, who loved us, and it wasn't because you were lovely. Quite the opposite. We were rebels. We were rebels against God. And that's that's what hits me over and over again. The fact that... We'll wrap it up with this. Listen. Just look here. Look here. How many days of my life have I raised up the supremacy of Woody Swenson? Now you put your name in there. And how many days of your life have you raised up the supremacy of you? And that's our problem, folks. We keep going back to this thing. It's, and it's not about... I want to say it. I want to keep believing it. It's not about me. It's about Him. And when it comes right down to it, you know, if I were to race after all sorts of fame and fortune... What would it be in the end? Would it really be about, you know, my glory? And see, what's going to last farther down the road than it's all about me or my uh, glory, whatever. It's going to be about Christ. If you, Christian, will have that as your drive and your motivation to say, Lord, I need to have more and more understanding in this that you are supreme over all things, In creation and in the church, it would drastically change our lives. But what do we fall back to? I get to squabbling over something. I get, you know, I get to complaining, murmuring. It's what we see in the Old Testament. The Israelites did it. And we do it too. And yet we've got the Bible and we, we ought to be far better off than they were. I use the term invincible on this last point because he's already won the war. He's already won it. Nothing needs to be added to what he accomplished. The victory is Christ. And remember, there is nothing. There is nothing that will obscure his true Identity. There's nothing that will obscure his true identity. There's nothing that will surpass him in rank. There's nothing that will overpower him in might. There's nothing that will outshine him in glory. There's nothing that will outdo him in his accomplishments except your vain imaginations. And mine. And other wannabe idols in my life. But in the end, nothing will outshine Christ in his glory. Nothing. Okay, so I need that challenge. You need that challenge. Okay, let's be honest. We need this challenge. Now, I ask you this question and we're going to wrap it up. Uh, We're getting a little long in it, but I want to ask this question. How does your, it's in the bottom of your outline. How does your recital compare? Your recital? Yeah, your recital of praise. How does it compare? If you're a Christian, if you're a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I are to evaluate or examine ourselves In light of a passage like this, that exalts Christ higher than anything else. Is your life and your home full of other personal images that want to intrude and uh, take up camp? Are there other images that that you willingly keep nearby, that you lean on and trust in? And what this passage is screaming out is that Christ would be or would have the preeminence, the undisputed supremacy in, in, in your life, in my life. In everything. Everything that you can think of. Why? Because he over all, all of creation, he's supreme. In all of church, you could say, Well, my ministry, yes. What about your ministry in church? Does he have the supremacy there? Does he have supremacy at work? For you, as an employee, where you're working, are you saying, I want him to have supremacy in my life? Either, listen, either he's Lord of all, or he's not Lord of all. Are we challenged in that? Yeah, somebody could call me on the the carpet and say, oh, but this area in your life, Swenson, or this area in your life, well, then I need to respond and say, I need to come to trust and obedience in in these areas of my life. Why? So that Christ would have the preeminence in my life. So that Christ would have preeminence in our church. One day, you and I will find out. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. He is Lord to the glory of the Father. Listen, right now we're gonna go into our communion time. Um, be thankful. If you're a believer, be thankful. The victory's already won. It's already done and won. He already, He did it already. Nothing needs to be added. You need to walk in His grace and ask Him for help as you weigh things out, as you, as He shines the light in your heart over what's going on. It, does he have supremacy in your life? Ask him to help you. I'd like the men to come at this time we are helping to serve and let's, uh, let's pray together.